You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. When we started this epic journey through the book of Exodus, I started by laying some foundations that would help us understand our journey through this 40 chapters uh, in a book called Exodus. And there was three themes that I reminded you of that we're gonna see as we navigate through these 40 chapters. And the three themes that we talked about were God's redemption, God's presence, and God's gospel. So throughout the book of Exodus, you see God's redemption. And you really see it in the first 18 chapters when God takes his people who are in slavery to Egypt and delivers them by chapter 18, they're out of Egypt and delivered. And so God redeems them out of slavery. Then in Exodus 19 through 40, you really see the presence of God come into display. And so you're going to see how God's presence works and how we interact with the presence of God. And then throughout the third theme, throughout the whole book, you see God's gospel. Because what God is doing is it's not just about the book of Exodus, it's about what God is going to do through Jesus eventually. And we've seen almost in every message a pointing to Jesus, that something, someone is coming who's gonna fulfill all these things, who will be the example of these things. And so God's gospel is flowing throughout the book of Exodus. One commentator summarized the book of Exodus in this way. I think it helps us see uh, these things. He says this, God's people are not only liberated from slavery, that's chapter one through chapter 18, but they're also liberated for God's presence. So this, this is important for us to see. They're, the people of God were not just liberated from something, but they were liberated to something as well for God's presence. So he says, the law and the tabernacle create a framework in which God's people can enjoy God's glory. So last week we ended our first part of the book of Exodus in chapter 18. Now we're moving in chapter 19 to the second part of the book of Exodus, which is about this presence of God. Now I want us to understand as we move into this next section, that God has already redeemed his people. It's, we need to see that clearly. That's why he says they've been delivered from slavery to God's presence. The idea is this, we've been redeemed to relationship. They've been redeemed and now we're gonna see how the relationship of God and his people work. But they've already been redeemed. So it's important for us to see that grace has already come. Now we're seeing how grace motivates their obedience. 
Because sometimes when people think about the book of Exodus, they only think about these rules and laws, these 10 commandments. But, and they're only focused on the end of the book of Exodus, not the first part where God has redeemed the people. And so what you're going to see today in Exodus chapter 19 and 20 is that God's going to remind them of his grace and then he's going to talk about how the relationship works. God's going to remind them that he's redeemed them. And this is how, if we want to keep a right relationship with God, this is what it, it looks like for God's people, the children of Israel. So here's how our outline will look today from Exodus chapter 19 through 21. Exodus 19 is all about the preparation for the covenant. So Geography geographically, they're going to be in the same spot for the rest of the book of Exodus. They're going to be at the bottom of Mount Sinai. They'll be there for the next 20 chapters. They're not, in the first 18, we're moving a lot from place to place. Now they're going to be at the bottom of Mount Sinai for the rest of the chapter. And God is preparing them at the bottom of Mount Sinai for this covenant that he's going to make with them, referred to as the Mosaic Covenant. Then in Exodus chapter 20, Verses 1 through 17, God's going to speak directly to the people. And we refer to this as the Ten Commandments. God's going to talk directly to them and say, this is how relationship with me is going to work. Right? I've redeemed you. Now I, wanna, I don't just want to redeem you from slavery. I want to have a relationship with you. I want this relationship to work. Here's how it's going to work, the Ten Commandments. And then in the end of Exodus 20, 18 through 21, we're going to see how the people react to this. How do they react to the presence of God? How do they react to these 10 commandments? So if you have your Bible, open it up to Exodus chapter 19, and we'll work through it together. I'll have a few verses on the screen today, but I would encourage you to open your Bible app on your phone. If you don't have one, go out to your app store. YouVersion is a great one that I would encourage you to download. It's free use that one today, then you can explore it. There is others, but use that. If you got a physical Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Exodus chapter 19. So mom and dad, your kids aren't playing on their phone. If they got their phone out, you're doing the Bible app, right kids? <laughs> yes, you are. I, yeah. Sometimes. The problem is when you have, uh, you know, notifications coming and my son's really into soccer. And so, you know how that goes during service. You know, you're getting apps, updates about the Premier League during church. And all of a sudden I look down there and it's like, that doesn't look like the Bible. That looks like one zero. You know what I'm saying? That I don't think that's where Bob was at. So, but today they're not going to do that. They're just going to look at, at the Bible. All right, let's look together. Exodus chapter 19, verses one and two, set up for us where they're at. So they're at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel. And then in verse three, we pick it up. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, that's Mount Sinai, saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. So God is giving Moses something that he wants to relate to the children of Israel. He says this, say to them, you yourselves have seen what I did to, to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So what is God doing? He's reminding them that he has redeemed them. Right? Because this is not for relationship with God. This is from a relationship with God. He has redeemed them 
out of slavery. And so now he's saying, this is how our relationship is going to work. So he starts with grace. He says, remember that you're in slavery and I redeemed you out of that slavery. And he says, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So what is God talking about here? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 32 in verses 10 and 11, Paul, Moses expounds for us what he means by this idea that God bore them up on eagles' wings. Look with me there, Deuteronomy 32, 10 and 11. It says this, he found him, so God found the children of Israel in a desert land and in a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him and he cared for him and kept him as the apple of his eye like an eagle that stirs up his nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them and bearing them on its pinions. So the idea is, the picture is that God was hovering around them. This shows the the tenderness of God. It, It shows the watchfulness of God that he hovers around them like an eagle and then he knocks them out of the nest. If you've ever seen an eagle do this, they knock their their Uh, little guys out of the nest, nest, not nest, out of the nest and they fly and and obviously they're trying to fly and and the mother is watching them. And then as they get closer to the ground, you'll watch and they'll swoop in and catch them and bring them back up and they go through as as it is helping, as she is helping her young learn to fly. And so this is the picture that God gives to his people to tell Moses is, I'm like that eagle for you. I'm watching over you as you're trying to fly. I'm catching you and bringing you back. I'm taking care of you. And then we come to the covenant in verse five. Now, therefore, if, and that's a, that's a key word for the covenant, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, this agreement between two people, agreement between God and the children of Israel, you shall be, and he gives them three things my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So I want you to understand that God is the initiator of this covenant. This is not the children of Israel coming to God and saying, hey, we wanna make an agreement with you, a covenant with you. This is God coming to the children of Israel and saying, let's make an agreement. If you obey my voice and do what I said, you're gonna be my treasured possession. This is the picture of a conquering king who had a special collection of treasures that he'd got. So he's saying that the children of Israel are his special possessions. Then he says, they're a kingdom of priests. The kingdom of priest idea is that they're devoted to worship and ministry. That's what priests did. They worshiped and ministered to God and to the people as well. And he says, so you're not just gonna have one priest, you're gonna be a kingdom of priests. You're all gonna worship God and minister to God. And then he says this, you're gonna be a holy nation. The idea of a holy nation is that you're gonna be a set apart from every other nation that there's gonna be something different about you because you follow Yahweh, you follow the true and living God, that you're gonna be a nation that is set apart from everyone else. God initiates this covenant with the children of Israel. And so the end of verse six says that 
these words, the Lord says to Moses, you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses comes down from the mount and he goes and he tells the people of Israel, hey, here's the covenant that God wants to make with you. And in verse eight, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. It's like a church service, right? It's an altar call. Yes, whatever, Lord, you want me to do, I'm willing to do. There's a sense of excitement in that expression. They're, they're ready to do what God wants them to do. And so Moses says then, well, let's get ready for the presence of God. So Moses goes back to God and tells God what the people have said. And so God says, well, I'm gonna speak directly to the people. So you need to get ready for me to speak to you. So the Bible goes on and really the rest of chapter 19 there is God preparing the people. So he tells them, you need to wash your clothes, clean yourself up, don't have sexual relations for three days, all this kind of stuff that he's doing to get them ready to meet God. So Moses tells the people, get ready to meet God. Here's, here's what you need to do. And in verse 16, it says, on the morning of the third day, after they had got themselves ready, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. So God's presence shows up on this mountain and the way Moses chose, is, chose for us to know his presence is through these visual examples. And the people see these things and they're in fear. Why? Because it's the presence of God. And they understand that they can't be in the presence of God and live. And so Moses comes down and says, listen, we're going to set up this gate, this fence around the mountain so that you don't get too close to the mountain and touch it and the presence of God will kill you at that moment. Right. Because God is so holy and set apart, he can't be in the presence of even people that are trying to clean themselves up or even people that are trying to get in his, in, in his presence. And so Moses comes down and says, hey, listen, we're gonna set up this fence. Don't go past the fence. If you go past the fence, you're gonna to have to be killed because you're coming into the presence of God who is holy and he doesn't let unholiness come into his presence. So they get ready to hear from the voice of God. So Moses goes down to the people and he says, God's gonna to speak to us. Verse 20 or chapter 20, verses one and two. The Bible says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. As God begins to talk to his people, he starts by reminding them of his grace. Again, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God is saying, before I get to these 10 commandments that are gonna guide our relationship, I want you to know that it's been my grace that has got you to this moment. That's why it's so important. Sometimes because the culture likes to pull these 10 commandments out of context, we forget that this is the grace of God. This is God desiring a relationship with his people. And so we often see the commandments as like 
the children of Israel moved from Pharaoh dictator to God dictator. But what we're not seeing is verse one and two that says God's been gracious to them and pulled them out of slavery, out of Egypt. And now this is God's grace in saying, here's how our relationship can work best. So we come then from verse three to verse 17, we have what is referred to as the 10 commandments. The 10 commandments are the essence of the law. They are the heart of the law. You will hear people, and I just bring this out because if you do research, you're gonna hear people refer to three types of law, the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. That as you study through the rest of the, the, the Old Testament, really the first five chapters, you see these different parts. They refer to the 10 commandments as the moral law, then they refer to these civil laws as, as the thing that, God's, that, that God will give to Moses as a part of how their civilization is to work. And then the ceremonial law is the idea of the, the being clean before God. And so the, I, people talk about how the ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ. The civil law doesn't apply to us anymore because it's, it's a, a cultural thing. And then the moral law is something that still works in our life today. So the scriptures don't necessarily refer to them in these three. They refer all, to a, all, all of it as the law of God. But I, I want you to understand that so when you're studying scripture and you hear those different terms, you understand what they're referring to. So they would say the Ten Commandments are the moral law, but I, I, it, it's okay to say that, but it's not necessarily in scripture that we find that. The idea behind these Ten Commandments is what the creator desires to see his creation do in this relationship. So how does he desire to see his creation interact with him and work with him? Here's how Jesus summarized the 10 commandments for us and the law of God. Somebody comes to him and asks Jesus the question, what is the greatest commandment? So if you had to narrow down all the commandments, what's the greatest one for me to do? And this is how Jesus responds. He says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus summarizes the whole 10 commandments and other commandments around these two things, loving God, and loving others. Well, what's neat about the 10 commandments as we study them is you can really break them down into those two sections. The first four commandments are about my relationship with God. They're about loving God. The next six commandments are about loving others. How does our relationship work in the context of church, in the context of life together with people in community? So the first four are about loving God. The second or the second part or six of them are about loving others. So we're gonna put them into those two categories. So let's look at the 10 commandments together. I'm gonna work through them one by one, try to be pretty succinct and, and get through this quickly. The first is loving God. It's how do we have a right relationship with God? For the children of Israel, God is helping them to understand this. So we see in verse three, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. 
The idea of this is monotheism. They lived in a polytheistic society, meaning they worshiped all kinds of gods. If you remember Pastor Bob, when he went through the 10 plagues, remember how he pointed out to us that each one of the plagues was against a different God of Egypt? So that's the culture that Israel had been in for 400 years was this uh, plurality of gods, that you had a God for everything and so you just gotta get the right God and hope the right God works out. So the first commandment that Jesus says, how we're gonna look different from the culture that you've been in is that you're not gonna have any other gods before me or besides me. That there's only one God and, and this is Yahweh God and there should be no other gods or idols in your life. This is how our relationship is gonna work best, God says, is if you don't have any other gods in your life besides the one true God, Yahweh. The second commandment is this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. The idea behind this commandment is that the children of Israel would not worship the wrong thing. So he says, don't make for yourselves any carved images. A good way for us to think about it is go to the book of Romans in the New Testament, Romans chapter one. Paul says that they began to worship the creation rather than the what? Creator. This is what this commandment is about, that you begin to worship creation rather than the creator. And so God says, I don't want you to get worship wrong so don't have any carved images. Don't have anything that you're worshiping besides me alone. See, we're in danger in the church of worshiping things besides the creator. We can worship a music style. We can worship a certain program. Good things, things that are pointing us to God, but we worship those rather than we worship the creator, the true God. And so Jesus, God said to the children of Israel, this, this is how our relationship is gonna work best, is if you don't have worship anything besides me alone. Because he says a little bit later, I'm a jealous God. And when you're worshiping other things besides me, my heart's jealous. It's a right jealousy. We think of it in terms of a bad jealousy, right? But this is a good jealousy because it's a perfect jealousy because it's God's jealousy. And so he says, don't worship anything besides me alone. Third command, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'm pretty sure that my mom and dad used this verse to teach me that I should not cuss. <laughs> don't you use G-O-D or Jesus Christ when you're mad because you're taking the name of the Lord in vain. Now, I don't... I don't think they were totally misusing this verse, but a way we could translate it is this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It is to take God's name and use it as a means to an end. So it's, it's to manipulate God to get what you want. That's what he's talking about when he says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It is to use God to get what you want. 
modern example. We come to church to scratch God's back so that he'll scratch our back during the week. That's using the name of the Lord in vain. So it's not that I cussed this week. It's that I do things so that I do it in the name of the Lord so that I get some kickback. I'm trying to manipulate God for my own good. That's what he's after there. Don't misuse the name of your God. Then commandment number four, verse eight, is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God wanted his people to rest like he did when he created the world. Remember, God created the earth in in the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And so God says, I want our relationship to work that way. I want you to work six days, and then I want you to remember the Sabbath, and I want you to set it apart. To keep it holy is to set it apart as a time where you don't work so that you can be reminded that you're not the creator, that God is the creator. And to rest in that. So give your employees the day off, right? Give your livestock the day off. This is an opportunity for us to rest and just remember who the earth belongs to, that it belongs to God. So all these commandments are dealing with their relationship with God on a vertical level. This is how loving God is gonna look in your life, children of Israel. If you want to know how this relationship, I've redeemed you from slavery to this, my presence, to my relationship with you. And so here's what I desire for you to do. These four things. Now, how does it work then horizontally? How do we love each other? Well, that's the next six commandments. He says in verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and that your, the Lord your God is, that the Lord your God is giving you. And all the parents in the room said, amen to that, right? Respect is the idea here. Respect your parents. I believe that God is laying the foundation that he desires for a society to work. Dad, mom, children, right? That's why in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, what was the plan? You're gonna be together. You're going to make babies. You're going to multiply the earth, right? So God is continuing that idea of this is how life works. Respect your parents. Honor your parents. Number six, he says, these are real succinct if you're looking at your Bible, 13, 14, 15, and 16 are just pretty much one sentence. It says this, you shall not murder. The idea with murder here is killing an innocent person. This is a generic word for for murder in that it is not a word that has to do with war or a word that has to do with the death penalty. This is simply the idea of we're not to murder each other. We're not to kill innocent people. What's interesting about these next two commands is that when Jesus is talking with his followers, In Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, we refer to that as the Sermon on the Mount. It's when Jesus is beginning to lay out the constitution of the kingdom of God. He says to them, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry in your heart towards someone, you've already murdered them in your heart. 
so Jesus takes these next two commandments and he takes them to a whole nother level. So he says, it's not just about me going in the back alley and killing somebody. It's about me even being angry with somebody in my heart. So he says, you should not murder. This is how relationship loving one another is going to work. You shall not, he says, for number seven of the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. It is a husband and wife who are not to have any relationships outside of each other. They're to be committed to each other. So there's not to be any relationship. If we're going to love each other well, I don't need to have a side fling. I need to be true to my wife. One woman, one man for life. Saying don't commit adultery. So Jesus takes the same command in Matthew chapter five. And he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, a man who looks on woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery already. So Jesus says being a one woman man is not just about outwardly, but inwardly. So I think if you're single in the room and you're not married yet, you can still be a one woman man. Why? Because you're not going to go down the path of pornography. You're not going to let your heart go down that path because you're preparing yourself. If God has for you to be married, if singleness is not what he's called you to, then you're preparing your heart for that committed relationship. See, committing adultery just doesn't happen in the passion of the moment. Committed, committing adultery often happens way before that moment. Jesus is saying it starts in the heart. And I would say for some, it starts even before you, you got married. And so he says, if we're gonna work well together, if we're gonna love one another, we should not commit adultery. Then he says, number eight, you shall not steal. The idea, don't take what doesn't belong to you. Number nine. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Be truthful. Don't lie. If you go into court and you're talking about your neighbor, don't lie about them. If you're in a conversation with people, don't make up stories. Right? Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Tell the truth. And then the last, number 10, is you shall not covet. Here's what it says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The idea is having a consuming desire to have something that doesn't belong to you. So don't covet. Don't be always looking over the fence, right? And saying, man, I wish I had that. Desiring those things. Don't do that. If, if, if this relationship with each other is gonna work right and it's gonna be pleasing to me, then we're not gonna be coveting things that don't belong to us. We're not gonna desire them. So this is the plan. These are the commandments that God has for the relationship with his people and how this is going to work with loving him and loving each other. Then look at verse 18 and how the people respond. 
Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. When they saw the presence of God and they heard the voice of God, they understood that they were not equipped to be in the presence of God. They understood that they could not do what God had just told them to do in and of themselves. And so listen to how they respond in verse 19. And they come to Moses and say, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They say, we can't even be in the presence of God. It's too much for us. We need somebody to mediate between us and God. We need somebody to stand in between us and, and just deliver the message for God. Because to hear his voice, to see his presence, it's, it's overwhelming. It's, it's scary. It's fearful. So Moses responds to the people do not fear, for God has come to test you and that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. You see, the presence of God and the law of God exposed the people's need that they were sinful people and that they couldn't be in the presence of God and they couldn't live up to the law of God. The reality today is as you listen to the Ten Commandments and you see the presence of God, you understand that you can't live up to that either, can you? When I put my life up next to the presence of God, the holiness of God, I never measure up. When I put my life up next to the Ten Commandments and look through those commandments and I try to measure up to those, I always woefully fall short. Because the Bible says that we're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. And how do we know we're sinners? Romans 7, 7 says that the law reveals to us that we're seven, that we're seven, that we're sinners, right? That when we see the law, it lets us know that we don't measure up. It reveals the sin of our heart. In fact, James chapter two and verse 10 says this, if you only mess up on one part of the law, like say you get nine out of 10, you fail on the whole law. You gotta pass this law in order to be in the presence of God. You gotta pass this law perfectly. And so the law reveals and exposes our sin and our need. But the law also reveals to us that we have a savior. You see, in Matthew chapter five, in verse 17, Jesus said this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets to get rid of it, but I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came because he understood that you and I couldn't measure up. That as hard as we would try, we can never get all the commandments right. That even though this is how our relationship with him would function best, he understood that we could try to do it, but we would never quite get there. That we would need somebody to come who could mediate between us and God. 
who could allow us to be in the presence of God. And Jesus is saying, I'm that person. I've come to fulfill the law so that you can be in the presence of God. And so in Galatians chapter four, Paul talks a lot about this to the Galatians, but in Galatians chapter four, verses four and five, he says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to what? Redeem those who were under the law, you and I, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came as our mediator to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that you and I deserve to die because we couldn't keep the law. And then he did what is even more crazy, something that we could never do. He rose from the dead. And at that moment, he conquered sin and death and the devil, and it is available to you today. So if you listen to the 10 commandments and you think, man, I can't measure up. This is a heavy burden. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. What's he talking about? The law of God. You're heavy, you're burdened by all this. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is rest? Rest is this belief in Jesus Christ. That I'm in a right relationship with God, not because I've kept all the 10 commandments, but because Jesus died in my place, he was buried and he rose again. And now he mediates for me before God. So when we sing a song, yet not I, but Christ, that's what we're saying. I can't, and that's why we'll sing it as it says in the song for eternity. Why? Because it's never about us. It's always about Christ. He's the one who has done it for us. He is the law giver and the law keeper. And so 1 John chapter three and verse 23, John says this, and this is his commandment, Jesus' commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So what are we supposed to do? Believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus has done that for you. So do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe that he was buried for you? Do you believe that he rose again for you? See, some of you in the church today, you've grown up in church. And so you hear this story a lot, but if you're real honest with me, you're still trying to work your way to God. You're trying to keep all the 10 commandments. So your weeks are miserable because you're trying not to commit adultery. (laughs) You're trying not to have any other gods and you're trying to do all of this in your own strength. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. Stop trying to fulfill the law in your own. It's already been fulfilled for you in Jesus Christ. Believe in him. That was the defining moment in my life when I realized I can't earn my way to God. And there's hundreds of people in this room that that was the defining moment in their life when they realized they weren't good enough. They're sinners. They needed a savior 
And the law revealed that to them and they believed in Jesus. They put their faith and trust in them. Have you done that? If you haven't, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day for you to say yes to Jesus. So how then do we relate to the law as followers of Jesus Christ? So if we're not under the law anymore, we're under the law of Christ. That's what Galatians would say. And we're in this new covenant. We're not under the Mosaic covenant anymore. We're under this new covenant in Christ Jesus. Then how do we relate to the law? You're, you're gonna hear some pastors who say, well, we just, we unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament and from the 10 commandments. So we don't even go there anymore. Right, Like, let's get away from, from that. They don't belong in our lives. That's the old covenant and we're in the new covenant, the New Testament. Well, there, there's a sense in which the answer to that is how do we relate is a yes and no. Yes, we're not under the old covenant, but we still relate to the old covenant in this way. Look at how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 13 in verses eight and nine. Paul's helping us work out these things in our lives. He's, he's talked in chapter one of Romans through 11 about salvation and sanctification, the glorification, how all this stuff works in our life in relation to God. Then in verse chapter 12 through 16, he's like, here's what your belief looks like in behavior. Here's what he says. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the what? Law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, murder, still covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul, even in the New Testament, looks back to the commandments and says, this is a good way for us to live our lives. Not for relationship with God, but from relationship with God. Not for the grace of God, but from the grace of God. That these commandments are good for us to see how to love God and how to love each other. So I'll close with this illustration to help us try to visualize what I'm saying as the law guides our life. Today, when you leave our church, most of you will get in a car and you will drive your car out onto 72nd Street. When you drive your car onto 72nd Street, there is some laws that you are going to follow. First, you're gonna get in, Lord willing, the right-hand lane. And you're gonna follow the lines that are on the ground. You're not gonna drive in the middle of the striped lines. You're gonna drive between the striped lines and the curb or the striped lines and the double line in the middle. You're gonna follow the guide. Then you're going to come a little bit farther. You're going to get to Troost and there's a, a stoplight hanging there. And if it's red, you're going to do what? Stop. If it's green, what are you going to do? Go, right? Then you're going to get a little bit farther down the road and you're going to come to a speed limit sign. And a speed limit sign is going to tell you how fast you need to be going. So 35 typically probably. So you're supposed to be driving 35. These laws guide us. They help us as a community to work together so that we're not running into each other. So what happens is if you go to the red light and you go through the red light, 
things probably are not going to go well. They might go well for 10 times, but the 11th time, it might not go so well. If you tried to drive on the left-hand side of the road, it may go well for a little bit, but it probably is not. It, these are guides for us that help us work together. I believe when we see the Ten Commandments, we now under this new covenant and under grace, we see them as guides in our life. Are we gonna mess up sometimes? Sure, we're, we're probably gonna drive 45 and a 35 from time to time. Are we gonna go over the lines from time to time? Yes, we will. But these are guides that direct us in how we love God and how we can love each other. So I can look at my life this week as a follower of Jesus and say, is there any other gods that I'm keeping before God? Am I putting my family above God? I can think about the context of relationships and see, have I murdered my wife this week? Right? No, I haven't. She's not here. She's in family. She'll be back. All right. So no, I haven't murdered her. But have I been angry in, her, in my heart towards her this week? So I'm not doing those things to try to earn God's favor. Those are just guides for me to help me love others. And the closest person I love in my life is my wife. And so it works out in, in my home. So the law of God, the Ten Commandments, are guides for us to follow, to help us interact with each other, help us love God, and help us love each other. Father, thank you for your word. And I'm so thankful that even in the book of Exodus, we see your grace in that you redeemed the people out of slavery to relationship with you. I don't, just in studying the book of Exodus, I never really thought deeply about that. And so this week it was rejuvenating to my heart to see Exodus 19.3, Exodus 20 verse 2 that says, remember I've redeemed you and this is what relationship looks like. So help us as your people who are under this, not the Mosaic covenant, we're under this Christ covenant. Help us, Lord, to live from the grace that you've shown us. May your grace motivate us this week. And when we cross over the lines, you say, if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So help us when we get over the lines or we run the red light this week to confess that to you. And I'm thankful that when we do that, we don't lose our citizenship. We still belong to you. We're still a part of the family and you love us and help us to live from that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to antiochbbc.org. That's antiochbbc.org. God's best to you.